the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed, and here to welcome you to this Wednesday, February 26th edition of Lifeline. We are, of course, here each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m. addressing issues that impact your life and your world. Speaking of the world, boy, what news today? World stocks tumbling for the fifth straight day. The slide continues as dozens of countries take emergency measures to fight the coronavirus. The World Health Organization reporting that the outbreak has peaked in China, but urging other countries to prepare for the virus. Here at home in the U.S., the CDC advising Americans to be prepared for the virus to spread. The coronavirus has claimed about 3,000 lives in central China, where drastic restrictions have put a halt to China's manufacturing and consumer spending. Suffice it to say, investors are feeling a bit queasy after the roller coaster ride again today. Major stock indexes going all over the map. The Dow Jones Industrial Average starting out surging to recoup some of its losses over the last four trading sessions. At one point, it was up 461 points this morning. However, following an FDA official saying that it appears the coronavirus is on the cusp of becoming a pandemic, that sent stocks once again south, falling as much as 191 points three times today. That's a swing of more than 650 points. The closing bell, the Dow Jones, was down 124 points to end the day at 26,958. The S&P shedding 12 points to just 3,116. The Nasdaq, however, showed a little bit of positive territory, up 15 points to end the day at 8,981. Joining us now to discuss not just the ramifications of the coronavirus on domestic markets, but global as well, is Justin Klein. Justin is CEO of KPP Financial and one of the hosts of Invest Talk. Heard Monday through Fridays at 4 p.m. on our sister station, Business Radio 1220 KDOW. And Justin, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us tonight. No problem, Craig. Great to be here. Boy, you know, it's difficult for all of us, I think, to really get a handle on this. We see not only the authorities at the CDC, but the World Health Organization struggling to really understand the pace at which the coronavirus will spread, how many victims it may potentially claim, and along with it, of course, investors trying to really determine what kind of a major short-term and long-term impact will it have on the market. Certainly, if the last four days are any kind of an indication, it's not really the sort of start to the brand new year that we were hoping for. Definitely not. Uh, it's been uh, quite the year, uh, just in the first uh, eight weeks or so. Uh, and uh, this is definitely throwing a big wrench in uh, global, not just the markets, but the global economy uh, as you're seeing the blockades in Italy, um, this global supply chain of China being uh, drastically affected. Uh, a lot of car companies are having trouble producing vehicles. Uh, so this is uh, definitely going to have, I think, uh, a much bigger economic toll 
than uh, the human toll, which, you know, the, the death rate looks to be somewhere in the 2 to 3% range, which is certainly much worse than the seasonal flu. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's not drastic like the Spanish flu or anything like that. So um, it's uh, it definitely, you're definitely going to see continued economic fallout as this spreads, because I agree, it will spread. Uh, and I think eventually here to the United States, it's just a matter of where it's uh, actually located. The uh, president had a press conference earlier this afternoon talking about uh, the reaction and the way the United States is preparing to to deal with all of this. And and, and certainly, I I think it's comforting to know that we're paying very close attention to all of this. And yet, of course, the big question mark in the equation is just how much do we really need to be worried? One of the points the president made was on par, something like the influenza virus, the flu virus that comes and goes seasonally and has for centuries, really claims far more lives than certainly so far the coronavirus has. And I suppose to a degree, then, it's all a matter of perspective. Part of the concern, though, has been the way in which China has seen the rapid spread and the way they've responded. This impact on some of the supply chain that we've seen with major cities literally on quarantine shutdown. Do we have any sense at this point in terms of how that interruption is going to impact global markets? Are we seeing so far on Wall Street more of a emotional response than really uh, the markets reacting to the impact on, on hard numbers? Well, the market hates uncertainty, and that's what really this uh, throws into uh, the equation is a lot of uncertainty of what is uh, the the effect, not only in size, but also the duration. Um, you know, is this something that kind of uh, shuts down a lot of global economies for just the next couple weeks, or is it more like the next few months, or possibly through the balance of the year if it isn't a seasonal flu type of thing? Uh, from what I'm looking at, it, it does look like it's probably going to be more like a, a seasonal thing. Uh, you just started to see some uh, some cases in Brazil, and I think that'll be an interesting case study to see what it, how it reacts and how it spreads in a, in a warmer climate, right? Because there uh, it's it's summer, and so I think that will be uh, something to watch. And uh, something I think a lot of people aren't talking about is that we are already deal with coronaviruses. Uh, we have about four that are uh, spread throughout the year that are seasonal. Uh, there, A lot of them cause the common cold, uh, but we tend to have some pretty strong immunities to it. So it could just because be that this is a, a new virus. We haven't built up enough immunities as a, as a species to deal with it. And I think that that's, that's probably something uh, that's a factor that will play in the long term. So a lot of this being essentially, at least at this juncture, fear of the unknown. How long will this go? How wide will it spread? What kind of an impact will it have? on the markets in relationship to how governments deal with it. And, of course, uh, they've taken fairly strict measures, a strict response in China by literally quarantining entire cities. And, you know, it used to be said years ago that if the United States caught a cold, the rest of the country or the rest of the world, rather, uh, caught the flu. Uh, Has that sort of reversed now in terms of the role that China is playing globally in world markets and supply chains, things of that sort? Yeah, absolutely, because, uh, you know, America back in the 60s, 70s, uh, our, our industrial uh, base was the industrial base for the world. Uh, and now over the past 20, 30 years, that has certainly shifted uh, to China, especially after they joined the, uh, the World Trade Organization in uh, the late 90s. And uh, they're, 
you know, we source so many products uh, from them, including a lot of drugs, uh, and almost every uh, actual product has some sort of Chinese part uh, in it, and that creates a, a problem for supply chains, and you know, some company, companies will be affected a lot more uh, than others, and you're kind of seeing that in the marketplace today where, um, you know, oil companies are down a lot, as well as uh, a lot of car companies. If you've just joined us, we're visiting today with Justin Klein. Justin is Chief Executive Officer of KPP Financial, an investment, financial planning, and retirement advisory organization. They, of course, has a radio broadcast here in the San Francisco Bay Area every Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. It's called Invest Talk, and we invite you to catch that, where um, Justin, along with Steve Peasley share their insights related to the events of the day, the impact of the news on the markets, and ultimately on retirement planning and your investment dollars. Check them out online. More information available at kppfinancial.com. That's kppfinancial.com. Justin, stay with us if you would. I'd like to take a quick time out, get our listeners updated on some traffic, come back and break out some more of the numbers here, and, and perhaps also bring some balance to this. Because as much as we've seen this significant reaction by investors on Wall Street, some of the scared money, no doubt, uh, moving to the doors, there are many fundamentals related to the economy here at home that continue to be encouraging, the latest of which has to do with new housing starts. We'll talk about that and your money as our conversation with Justin Klein from KPP Financial, host of Invest Talk, continues right after this. 514, uh, make it 515 exactly on the clock. Let's see what's going on for your Wednesday ride home as we head over to the KFAX Traffic Center and the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. 520 here on the Thursday, Thursday, we just lost a day, <laughs> the Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Visiting today with the CEO of KPP Financial, Justin Klein. Justin is the host of Invest Talk. You can catch the program every Monday through Friday from 4 until 5 p.m. on our sister station, Business Radio 1220, KDOW. Essentially every uh, day at 4 p.m., Justin breaks through the events of the day, analyzes the news as it relates to the direct impact on Wall Street and your money. So we invite you to check out the program. Check out more regarding KPP Financial online at kppfinancial.com. That's kppfinancial.com. So, Justin, we've talked about quarantines in China. We've seen a significant uptick in the cases of coronavirus in places like Japan, South Korea, and Italy. And certainly, as you articulated before the break, the one thing that the markets are uncomfortable with is any sense of uncertainty. And uncertainty certainly spooks the markets. It drives scared money to the doors. And yet, in spite of what we've seen in this extreme volatility over the last three, four, five days, ironically, a lot of the fundamentals in terms of the U.S. economy continue to be strong. One of the encouraging notes to come out of the Commerce Department today indicated that new home sales are up by almost 8 percent to 764,000 units, marking a 12-and-a-half-year high. And that, along with things like what we see with unemployment in the United States, perhaps uh, lends a bit of a balance to what we see in terms of the overreaction on Wall Street to the coronavirus, do you think? Yeah, and that's mainly driven by a much lower borrowing rate, right? You're at the 10-year and record lows now on the 10-year, um, and that's driven by 
you know, what would be considered financial repression by central banks globally, and they're going to uh, probably react uh, to this coronavirus and the weakness that it creates uh, in the economies globally. So they're, they're likely to be much easier uh, in their policy. Uh, and the problem with that is that that can't change the fact that we're dealing with, you know, economic uh, disruptions because of, uh, you know, shutdowns and quarantines. Uh, but the positive is that when we're past it, which we'll get past it, uh, there'll either be a vaccine or proper treatment or maybe it's just more seasonal. Um, and it will, will come back to a world that functions just like it did before uh, and with much easier monetary policy. And therefore, uh, you'll likely have a roar uh, back in the market once we do hit that, uh, that peak worry, that peak crescendo of, uh, of cases. And uh, that would be the best buying opportunity. The big question is when. Uh, you know, my sense is that it'll still be a few months from now, um, but it, it will it will come back just fine. So it's, it seems to be almost sort of a mixed blessing. Then, I mean, as you indicate, interruptions to supply chain, and of course, Wall Street reacts. And yet, watching what's had what's happened in terms of uh, availability of money. I mean, we're now seeing the thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage uh, to some of the lowest levels in well, certainly not since two thousand seven, two thousand eight, but certainly over the last several years. That's certainly going to be encouraging news, not only for first-time home buyers, but for people that are in older fixed-rate mortgages that are maybe looking to save a little bit of money now by refinancing. Yeah, this is a, a great time to refinance. For 30 years now at about 3.3%. Uh, that was as of yesterday, and we we, uh, we dropped a couple of uh, basis points today on the 10 years. So, uh, you know, this is this definitely what should bring new life to parts of the housing market. Now, China and the demand for U.S. real estate by Chinese citizens, that's certainly going to take a hit, right? Uh, those, uh, China is more concerned with not getting sick, quarantining everybody, making sure everybody uh, is, is healthy way more than they're worried about buying American real estate. So you'll definitely see a hit there, but maybe that means it's more of a buying opportunity for uh, U.S. citizens that aren't being crowded out by Chinese buyers and being able to take advantage of low low interest rates. And that's kind of what you're seeing now with um, you know, new home sales at a new high. Just You hope that uh, this doesn't uh, dissuade people from you know, going out there and making a big purchase like, like a house. Well, and perhaps, if anything, it will help sort of buoy that. While maybe it's not the ideal set of circumstances if you're on the selling side, if we're on the buying end of the equation with less competition from foreign money and and easier money, uh, it would seem to me that could help to kind of uh, give a little bit of relief in some markets like our own here in Northern California, where we know real estate has, uh, has been prime and expensive. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, even we're, I'm in Southern California, uh, and so uh, not quite as uh, hot from Chinese money uh, down here as up there. But uh, this is uh, definitely could, could give a buying opportunity. The, the market has been weaker on the higher ends 
um, and you're starting to see some some strength, and a lot of that has to do with those, those lower borrowing rates, and this will will only uh, help that. We have uncertainty, as we've suggested, and of course, one of the components of this year is it's an election year, typically an opportunity for the administration in office looking to get reelected to do all that they can to present as rosy a picture as possible to uh, encourage the opportunity of getting reelected, as no doubt the Trump administration wishes to do come November. That said, and given all of the variables that we're witnessing right now, give us your insight. How do you advise your clients, Justin, in sort of the the macro picture in terms of short-term investing and long-term, meaning the difference between how you advise a client who is maybe six months, a year or two away from retirement versus those that maybe have a longer horizon, a longer timeline that maybe you're looking at 15, 20 years out? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, something that will certainly throw a wrench and and remind people of the level of volatility that can come from equities. And if you are approaching retirement or in the retirement, uh, you know, volatility can hit you very fast, very quickly for various reasons. I mean, nobody really saw this. This came out of uh, left field, and it's something that people need to utilize in their analysis of the risk that they're taking in their portfolio. So we try to help clients lower that risk uh, level of their overall portfolio in uh, approaching retirement and in retirement. But long-term, you know, you have to look at what are the longer-term effects of something like this. Uh, I think this will only increase the onshoring of production uh, from China and uh, it's not going to happen overnight, but I think it is going to happen over the next decade or two where um, both policy but also situational with uh, the handling of this coronavirus, clearly they, they have not handled it very well, uh, as, as well as uh, just the political problems of the Chinese Communist Party that will drive businesses to do less business uh, in China or less production and more onshoring here. So, you know, we're looking at uh, industrial names that have great long-term track records of profitability and cash flow and dividends uh, that will grow over time. And I think that's where you're going to find the best opportunities over the next six months uh, for the long term. Certainly from a casual approach to investing, uh, these have been stellar years. We are uh, approaching, if we're able to survive it, the last few days perhaps notwithstanding, we are approaching the 12-year mark for the longest bull run in history. And arguably, some could say you could almost throw uh, a dart at the board and pick any stock and and, uh, put money in the equities and make money. But as we're looking now at this season of volatility, Coupled with some of the issues that we've seen overseas with faltering economies in places like Europe, certainly Germany has been having its challenges. We add to it some of the uh, questions in the equation related to this being an election year. Does this become a time, in your opinion, Justin, where active asset management really becomes more critical than ever? Absolutely. Um, I do think we are in the midst of uh, what I call the passive bubble, where everybody and their mother are uh, are investing in passive funds. And what that does is it crowds people into the same trade. And this is very reminiscent of, uh, if you remember, the Nifty 50 of the 1960s, uh, where everyone just said, you buy these 50 stocks, and that's how you invest in the stock market. And it's very easy. But we hit an extra session, and most people don't realize the level of volatility that equities have. And uh, everybody is trying to basically run out the same door. 
uh, and that becomes a, a, a big issue. And so, uh, you know, in this environment of financial repression, I, I do think uh, active management can be uh, a, a good way to diversify uh, a portfolio, uh, in, especially into areas like uh, precious metals. I think uh, this is uh, a great time for for. Did we lose him there, uh, Joel? You think we we lost him? Can you get him back on? I don't want to lose him here right at the tail end. I, I think perhaps if you've just tuned in, we're visiting with Justin Klein, CEO of KPP Financial, getting his analysis of what we've seen of market volatility, extreme market volatility over the last several days. And, and to be sure, uh, this is not a time to panic, but you do need to be wise and you need to have a strategy in place that will allow you to respond to these events, uh, both on a short-term and long-term basis. So whether you're in that position where uh, you're retiring, if you're retiring tomorrow, this is probably a very discouraging period of time. If, on the other hand, your timeline uh, is five, ten years out, things of that sort, then maybe you've got a little bit more breathing room, and maybe what you're witnessing here is a bit of a more buying opportunity than anything else. And uh, so that's what we've been analyzing here. And any luck so far getting them back on again? Um, If anybody didn't pay the bill, we probably didn't put... uh, (laughs) Do you have to drop another quarter in the in the, in the nickel machine here, uh, uh, Joel? Let me mention, by the way, as Joel tries to bring him back on the line, uh, that Justin's program, Invest Talk, can be heard Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on our sister station, Business Radio 1220 KDOW. He is a daily feature on K, uh, KDOW, where he talks about the events of the day, their impact on uh, the markets, and ultimately on your financial future. So we invite you to check that out and tune into the program again Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Business Radio 1220 KDOW. You can also get information, by the way, um, about KPP Financial and the radio program Invest Talk by going online to kppfinancial.com. That's kppfinancial.com. All right. I think we've got him back here um, with the magic touch of a dial, and uh, Joel dropped another 25 cents in our payphone here. <laughs> Justin, not sure what happened, but I'm sorry. Can you, you pick up your thought there, please? Yeah, I was just uh, basically saying that you know we're in the midst of uh, financial repression. We've been uh, in that, way, in that uh, environment for many years now, and this is where uh, central banks globally are going to try to keep interest rates very, very low, I think, for a very long time. Um, and uh, I think that uh, bodes well for areas like precious metals, uh, gold, gold gold miners, uh, et cetera. I think those are, are, are areas that you can diversify a portfolio, enhance returns, uh, and active management can, can certainly uh, help with that. Uh, and, and to me, I think gold, uh, precious metals will be the asset to own for the 2020s. And certainly, you know, again, as we see, as you say, sort of a cooling off of the period where it just didn't take much effort at all to make money on Wall Street, and it really now begins to be a bit of a more mature game, so to speak, as as we see the unpredictability begin to sneak into the markets, whether it's a slowing of the world economy, the impact of the coronavirus, um, you know, certainly any of these events could potentially also have a dilatorious impact on Wall Street here at home, in spite of the fact, as we indicated earlier, 
earlier that all of the fundamentals in our economy continue to remain strong. You just never know what might come in on the horizon to uh, begin to shift all of that. So is it a combination of both active asset allocation as well as maybe um, in that process revisiting your positions? Um, you know, you mentioned, for example, about a, a move to certainly precious metals. We've seen uh, gold reach in the 1200s uh, in, in recent weeks, and, and would we potentially see more of that? And does it also suggest that we need to revisit a lot of our global investing and, and maybe bring some of that offshore investment closer to home? Well, I think the better values actually are are overseas. Um, it's just a lot harder to uh, find the great companies and, and get access to investing in them, right? It's not as easy as buying a particular company on the NASDAQ or uh, the New York Stock Exchange. So it takes a little more work, um, but the, definitely the better values long-term uh, are overseas. I see we see a lot of great value in areas like Great Britain because of uh, panic over Brexit, uh, even though their, their economy uh, is still one of the strongest uh, and, and most robust in the world. So uh, there's definitely opportunities, but gold, uh, I do think, will eventually break $2,000 an ounce over the next uh, a couple of years uh, as you know, central banks kind of, kind of keep the keep try to keep it going, right? Try to keep this financial repression game going. You saw the, them uh, raise interest rates in you know 2017, 18, and that hurt the economy, hurt the markets, uh, and now they're back to very easy money, uh, and that's likely to stay for a little while, um, and that should give uh, a rise to to gold and, and has and uh, you know the geopolitical winds of populism. You know, you have your uh, Bernie Sanders and, and Donald Trump are both populists in their own way uh, and populism around the world. And, you know, that creates more uh, economic or sorry, uh, political uh, unrest throughout the world uh, in general. You know, those, those populism is not an American thing. It's now a global thing. To be sure, let me make a correction. By the way, I said gold was around twelve hundred an ounce. Oops, sixteen forty-seven and change in in that neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, Justin, this leads to a very important question. As you suggest, uh, it's not to run to the doors from foreign or global investing, but rather having to be a bit more strategic, uh, having to obtain a better understanding as to which markets are going to be key and which ones aren't. Toward that end, help our listeners understand how KPP Financial can help investors learn how to become more intelligent investors, particularly as we face these volatile times. Yeah, well, we are very income-focused, so we help a lot of clients uh, replicate income, but with uh, liquidity uh, and access to uh, great undervalued companies who uh, pay, uh, once again, strong dividends and have strong cash flows. Uh, and good long-term track records. Uh, you know, we're, we don't chase the, the latest hot story or anything like that. Typically, uh, we're, we're looking for companies that uh, will uh, throw off uh, cash flow for shareholders consistently over consistently over the long term. Uh, and that's how we, we help clients because uh, it, it, studies have shown, statistics have shown that it's more important to gain access to great companies at decent values, and that will outperform long-term. You mentioned that your headquarters are down in Southern California, but of course, as I mentioned, you've got a presence here in the Northern California Bay Area, daily radio show, Invest Talk, heard each Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on our sister station, Business Radio 1220, KDOW. If somebody listening right now to our conversation says, gee, you know, I, I... 
I've been going this alone, and so far I've done pretty good, but looking at the volatility over the last several days and realizing that my timeline toward retirement, my horizon is is beginning to kind of close in on me, maybe I do need some professional advice. How can they set up an appointment? Well, they can always go over to our website, uh, investtalk.com. You can uh, check out our podcast, or we take our radio show on KDOW, and we put that as a podcast each day on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, etc. So you can connect more uh, anytime there. Uh, or you can just send us a note, uh, like I said, at investtalk.com. I'll actually be up there meeting with uh, listeners and uh, potential clients and current clients on March 20th. So if anyone wants to uh, set up an appointment there, uh, you just reach out via our website. And, of course, that appointment is without uh, cost or obligation, correct? Of course. Of course, always. So a great resource. Uh, you can submit questions, get answers, get some better insights when it comes to active asset allocation and the management of your financial future. InvestTalk.com, the program Invest Talk, Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. on Business Radio 1220 KDOW. And again, details available on the web at InvestTalk.com or KPPFinancial.com. Our thanks to Justin Klein. Justin, sorry about the little glitch there at the, at the bottom of the hour, but I, I think we finally got the rabbit fed or the mouse is running in the track again <laughs> whatever it takes hey we appreciate your time and uh taking some uh, chance here to, to share your insights with us of course correct anytime all right take care now there's justin klein ceo of kpp financial and host of invest talk all right 538 let's get caught up on some traffic here if you're stuck in it let's uh, find out why as we look at the road ahead from the kfax traffic center And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the conversation, 543 on your Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Yesterday, news out of Washington, D.C., as Democrats defeated two pro-life measures in the Senate on a vote of 53 to 44. The 20-week abortion ban act failed, as well as did the Born Alive Act That bill defeated on a vote of 56 to 41. Sounds like somebody stepped over to the other side of the aisle. What is troubling about this? Let's find out. Brian Johnston joins us, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. And I suppose on the surface, Brian, of the two bills that in particular seem to be most egregious in terms of their their failure – is the the pain the official title the pain capable unborn child protection act that essentially says that um if during an abortion uh, the abortion goes awry and the child is actually born that at that point once outside of the womb that child must be treated and cared for as any doctor any hospital would a premature infant i am shocked that there were not sufficient enough votes to see this as not not related to abortion whatsoever, but in fact simply preserving life. That's right, Craig. And, and uh, yeah, the crossovers were uh, just a handful of Democrats. In the Senate, you have to have 60 votes in order to avoid cloture, which is just how the U.S. Senate works. So we didn't have enough for that. But you're right, we got crossovers, mention of West Virginia, and then out of Pennsylvania, uh, Casey, two Democrats that crossed over. But the deeper issue is this, is you're exactly right. This is about a child who's born alive and will continue living if cared for. 
And uh, our U.S. senators, we already know this, they are obligated now to the ideology of the abortion movement. And the thinking of those who do abortion and promote this as a property, remember that uh, essentially the proclamation is that, no, the mom owns the baby. And don't call her mom, that implies there's a baby. No, that means it's property, it's part of her body, and the goal has been to kill that baby. So should the baby escape her body, the goal was to kill the baby. So let's just let the goal happen. Let's let make sure this baby's killed. Ironically, Craig, and, and we've talked about this before, in California, of all places, we have the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. It was passed in 96 when we had a pro-life legislature. But, and this is where listeners know this, the current Democrat Party is so far gone in terms of ideology. They're so committed to unlimited abortion and to this particular aspect. And again, this is, this is the pro-abortion movement. The goal is to kill the child, make sure that happens. That's been passed in New York. The governor of Virginia said he supported it, the Democrat governor of Virginia. This is not making something up. In California, we have the law. The problem is... It's not being enforced, and the governor will not allow its enforcement. It's on the books. It's not being enforced. We filed a, a brief with the Department of Health Services to ask about the enforcement of the abortion regs. There is no enforcement of abortion regulations in California. There's nobody watching is a real problem. So you don't know when the child's born alive in the course of abortion because there's no one monitoring the abortion. California, and this started during Jerry Brown, but it's gotten much worse now, we pay for the abortion industry, but then we just let them go. Nobody governs it. No one's checking on how it's spent, on what's being done. There is more regulation of a veterinarian's clinic than there is of a human abortion clinic because it's all about choice. You don't want to regulate. You're limiting choices. You're being... You're, you're being controlling and paternalistic if you monitor these folks. That's how far it is in California. So we're, we actually, at California Pro-Life, have a project called the Light of Day Project, which is to make sure that people know what's going on. They're refusing to enforce it. We're going to have to go to court, but it's a huge project. And our, our last response from the Department of Health Services is that there is no monitoring. They have no answers. So it's, it is the law in California. What you just described, what every, in, in terms of polling in California, another reminder, the polls always say Californians are pro-choice. But no, they might say yes to that phrase, choice, but not when you describe what it means. And when you talk about late-term abortion, as you said, after 20 weeks when the child can feel pain, the average Californian does not agree to that unless there's some really hard cases, which this also provides for. Californians don't believe in all abortions all the time. They're not pro-choice when that's the definition. All abortions, whenever we want them, because we choose them. So Californians, actually, as individuals, we don't buy into unlimited abortion all the time, and we don't buy into, and our laws reflect that if a child's born alive in the course of an abortion, you need to take care of that baby. But it's not just not being enforced by Gavin or Newsom and the Democrat 
hegemony of this of this state. So this is very serious, and the more people realize that, you need to speak up, you need to talk to your Democrat legislators, say, I'm sorry, I might agree with you on other issues, but this is far beyond what we countenance. We, we you know, choice, a lot of people think that abortion is being limited, that it's only for hard cases, it's only early on, it's only the first trimester, is what Rose said, it's the intentional misrepresentation by the media of what human abortion really is and what the law is actually allowing to happen in other places. And now, even though Californians are defying the law, the California state is defying its own laws right now regarding the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. What's particularly, I think, troubling about this is, number one, it, it is very clear that Senate Democrats have attempted to really muddy the waters here or obscure the debate by suggesting that this is simply a push by conservatives and Republicans to um, enforce or put into place more, quote-unquote, draconian anti-abortion laws. And, and, and ironically, well, I suppose if we want to sort of split fine hairs here that we could suggest uh, that the uh, Paying Capable Unborn Child Protection Act does have a component that would protect the unborn, I, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around what possible excuse – what possible vindication could be used to suggest that the Born Alive bill that, by the way, was defeated on the vote of 56 to 41, which means there were a number of Republicans that stepped over to the other side of the aisle. How could they possibly look at that and say, oh, if a doctor in the process of performing abortion, the child actually is delivered and is born alive, exits the mother's womb, that we do not want that child to be treated or cared for as we would a premature baby, but rather to what? Allow the doctor to go ahead and now outside of the womb essentially engage in infanticide? I mean, am I reading this wrong, Brian? Please tell me I'm missing something here to suggest that 56 members of the United States Senate, including some Republicans, don't find that notion of not doing all we can for a baby who, in the process of being aborted, refuses the abortion in the sense. I'm thinking of kind of a Gianna Jessen moment for those of you who right. know who Gianna is. Tell me that I'm missing something here that wouldn't suggest that we are okay with essentially codifying infanticide in America. Well, and that is exactly what it is. Gianna Jessen, Melissa Oden, there are numerous women and young men that survived an abortion, and the way that the abortionist typically does it is they put them in a bucket, so the child comes out of the womb, sometimes depending on the method of abortion, but they throw them into a bucket and set them aside, sometimes in a medical closet. But what happens with those individuals, a brave nurse, in the case of Melissa Oden, she's become a good friend of our family, a brave nurse defied the doctor, and any nurse will tell you, you're not going to go far in nursing if you defy doctors. But defy the doctor, and this was being done in a hospital, and as the doctor yelled at her, she rushed the child to the neonatal ward. So Melissa is alive. And the fact is, this does happen every day. We have laws in California that say how wrong this is. It's simply not being enforced. And at California Pro-Life, 
If you go to the California Pro-Life webpage, you'll see there's the Light of Day project. The problem is the Light of Day is not being shown on this. The media, the abortion industry just dismisses this. And they just want, under this vague rubric of choice, unlimited killing of a human baby, even after it's born. And so this is this is really so alarming. It's it's hard to comprehend, really, and yet it's happening. So here in California, the Light of Day project, we want the Light of Day on this. We want people to understand just how, rage, how outrageous this is, that the culture of death, the culture of abortion on demand, unlimited abortion at any time, for any reason, no reason in particular, just, just for choice. That culture is what is now ruling and reigning in terms of our legislature and our governor and those who enforce the laws. Department of Health Services, they ignore it. There's no regulation of abortion, even though we pay for it. It's, it's the most absurd. You know, they view this, if I could, without being mundane. I live in Sacramento. Sacramento City provides tennis courts for the, for the city. They pay for it. It's a government-sponsored tennis court. If you go at night, you can turn on the power for a half an hour, and then it goes off automatically. You just go back and turn it on again. All paid for with your tax money. And if you ask the city of Sacramento, say, well, what kind of regulations do you have? There's no regulations. Do they play tennis? Are they following the rules of tennis? Is it No, they don't have to do that. So they're viewing, you might say, the abortion industry. Well, we're just going to give them money. We're going to help them with their clinics. We're going to help them with their advertising. Your state taxes pay for advertising for abortion clinics. We help every aspect of the abortion industry. But, you know, like tennis, well, we're not going to tell you how the rules of tennis. We're not going to have any rules. That's not our job. Choice is just like a sport. It's like whatever people want to do. Who are we to regulate choice, after all? We're American. We're Californians. We're really progressive. We're free. And the seriousness, the ideological cant that is being used is so childishly simple, and yet it's believed by people. So there's no regulations of abortion. You're paying for it in California. You're paying. Why don't we have the light of day on this industry? Why is the government even answering for what they're paying for? We're paying for this. So we're demanding the light of day, and it takes a lot to wake people up. And even in the U.S. Senate, there's people who fight it. And, of course, the media, as you know, Greg, the media has tried to misrepresent this, and the Democrat leadership misrepresents it. But... At a certain point, the reason we're going to excuse me, the reason we are going to ultimately win is because we are advancing a self-evident truth. This is a, even that's a human being, the most vulnerable human being you'd ever want to meet. Either that's a human being or it's not. And we build our laws on self-evident truth, not on ideological word games. So we're going to win, but we have to be committed as Californians to say, hang on, we want to look at what's really true. We want the light of day on what you're doing. So that's the light of day project for California. And critically important because, again, sort of pulling back the curtain and saying, listen, if this is the law, 
that they're willing to support or laws, as you suggested earlier, that they're not willing to uphold, in in my mind, an, an absolute violation of the California Constitution that both the attorney general and the governor swear to uphold, uh, then let's put that out there. Let's make sure everybody is clearly aware of what the agenda is and why the agenda is, and then let them be held accountable to Californians, if certainly not at the court level, at least at the ballot box level. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Brian will no doubt have more to say about this on his broadcast, Life Matters, comes your way Saturdays at 11.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. We invite you to check that out. That's Life Matters, Saturdays, 11.30 a.m., right here on KFAX. More information, too, online, californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. Coming up on 6 o'clock here from KFAX San Francisco, we're going to get you updated on some traffic and come back with more as we move into hour number two of the Wednesday edition of Lifeline from KFAX. Right now, let's get a look at that traffic as we head over to the KFAX Traffic Center.